This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Still to come top of the hour, Adam Oates stops by for what is always an intriguing and riveting talk about hockey and equipment and strategy and skills and training and coaching and players like Austin Matthews and Connor Bedard. Phil Bork about the uh, Yager weekend in Pittsburgh also should mention uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has upheld the Morgan Riley five-game suspension, so there will be no knocking down of numbers. He'll still need to serve game number five. Uh, but if you're the Toronto Maple Police right now, you kind of look at it and go, we've just won four in a row without him at a couple of games. Uh, please be joined now by my good friend Peter Baugh, who uh, normally I would be used to talking about the Colorado Avalanche with, but his beat is an intriguing one. It is the New York Rangers coming off a really exciting st- uh, stadium series win against the Islanders on Sunday. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I am doing well. So remember when we would always talk about the Avalanche and I'd always try to bring up Gabriel <laughs> Landeskog because he's my favorite player and you would roll your eyes and say, oh, Merrick, do we have to talk about Landeskog again? Well, you've just jumped into another obsession of mine and that is Artemi Panarin. I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize in advance, but every time we talk about the Rangers, I'm going to ask you about Artemi Panarin. Uh, another great one for Panarin on Sunday. He's put up you know, tremendous numbers this year, this season rather. Uh, he's in the conversation with a couple of, uh, you know, a handful of, uh, of other NHLers, including one on your old beat with Colorado. Uh, but from what you've been able to, to see up close and personal with Artemi Panarin, what are your takeaways so far? Yeah, well, he's, uh, I'll, I'll borrow his phrasing he used to me the other day when I asked him about Nikita Kucherov when he just referred to him as a beautiful player. Like, he's very aesthetically pleasing to watch <laughs> because his playmaking is so elite and he finds players with passes that you don't think are going to get to them, but they do. And he obviously has, his goal scoring rate has been up this year. He's shooting the puck a lot and it's just, uh, yeah, he's one of the best wingers in the league and the Rangers are really lucky to have him. And he really makes that um, line with Trocheck and, and Lafreniere click and, and has really been, I mean, that line, Zabinijad and Kreider are always on the quote-unquote top line, but the top line for the Rangers is whatever yeah. line Panarin is on, and that's with Lafreniere and Trocek, and it's been a, a force even when the team struggles. It's been really good. You know, it's interesting, too, because the history of the NHL has, and again, I'm point, painting with a roller here, not a brush. I mean, in, in, wide, brush, in, in wide brush fashion, uh, the history of the NHL is it's the center's that improve the wingers on the line, right? Like, we've seen this. I go through the golden age of centers and how many great players did Mario Lemieux make? How many millions of dollars did he earn? You know, pretty average wingers over the course of his career. Look how, you know, look what what Eisenman did for his wingers. Look what Howard Chuck did for his wingers. Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Peter Stastny, like, go right down the list. The interesting thing about Panarin to me, and there is only a handful of players who have the ability to do this from the wall, Marion Hosa comes to mind. Mark Stone comes to mind as well. I was saying this to Elliot on the podcast not too long ago, Peter. You know, it's almost as if if you have a problem on a line, just put Artemi Panarin on it and everything will get solved. Like, he's the ultimate fixer. Everywhere he goes, players around him get better. Case in point now, Alexi Lafreniere. That's pretty unique in the NHL, Peter. Totally, especially from, like you said, that's a center thing that you think of normally as like McKinnon can carry a line McDavid can carry a line and it doesn't matter who's around him but Panarin is the same way and he's he's one of the elite players in this game because of that and um, yeah I think that Lafreniere you've seen this season his his kind of career get 
get resurrected almost of he's he's on pace for I don't know probably mid mid twenties in goals and going to set a career high in points and a lot of that is because he's with he's with Panarin. Yeah, um, you know Matt Rempe is a fascinating player. Uh, Matt Rempe, who many remember uh, fighting Ross Johnston in the preseason, and everyone's saying like, "Whoa, kid did more than all right against uh, against the big boy uh, with the Islanders." Of course, he's now with the Anaheim Ducks, and then we saw him at the Stadium Series. Uh, we haven't seen a rookie take a victory lap, but there it was uh, before the game, the uh, the solo lap, the rookie lap. Uh, and then there was Matt Rempe fighting Matt Martin, so penalty minutes before official ice time, to which Vancouver Canucks fans screamed to me, hold on, don't forget about Kellen Lane and that uh, brawl game against the Calgary Flames, opening faceoff, the exit chases him out, the puck drops, and all five start going. So it's happened before with Kellen Lane of the Vancouver Canucks. What did you make of Matt Rempe on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty feel-good story in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, this is a guy who, he's not a huge prospect with the organization. I think he's, he is huge, though. He's a ginormous individual, six foot eight, and uh, Large man. Yeah, he's large man, and just, like, really excited to be up with the team. He actually was, um, I think it was last Monday against Calgary. He had been called up, didn't play, but Jacob Truba had sent him on the ice for a rookie lap. Um, so he'd already done one rookie lap. He got a second rookie lap on the outdoor game, became the first player in NHL history to debut outdoors. And then he gets in a fight within yep. the first two minutes. He said that he and Martin were kind of eyeing each other in warm-ups. And then he said that at kind of during the face-off, Matt Martin like said to him, like, hey, congrats, do you want to go? And he was like, of course I do. <laughs> and so then they fought. Yeah. And he said that. Martin was great and was like congratulating him on the way to the press box, told him to enjoy his debut and told him this is my favorite part. Apparently Matt Martin told him that, uh, that, that he fought Zidane Chara earlier in his career and that Rempe has longer arms. <laughs> well, you know, it's okay. So let me, let me pause on that just as, as a quick sort of, you know, uh, appreciation society for Matt Martin. A lot of guys won't do that. Yeah. Like, a lot of veterans won't do that because if you win, well, you're supposed to win, but if you lose, I mean, albeit you lost to the Incredible Hulk, but you just lost to a rookie, right? So a lot of veteran guys won't do that. And good on Matt Martin for doing the honors. Bob Probert was famous for doing that with uh, a lot of youngsters uh, who are just trying to make their name. There's a lot of vets that wouldn't do that for younger players. But to the point about Chara as well, that's one of the things that I always admired about Matt Martin. It was like every time they were playing Boston, they're like, sure, sure as gold, like Matt Martin was going to try to fight Zidane Chara for whatever reason. You know, Pat Maroon would do that too. But Matt Martin would always try to hang in there against the big boy. I don't know if there's a question here, maybe just an observation. Um, Matt Martin's unique. He really is a really unique and, can I say, kind hockey player. Like, who does that for someone like Matt Rempe? Matt Martin does. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was like you could tell it post game when talking to Rempe, like he really appreciated it. Like it was, it was I guess Matt Martin acknowledging like this is a huge day for you, and I have a chance to. Yeah. I mean, I, he he probably enjoyed fighting too, but like he was like, this is a chance to like give a kid a really memorable moment in a way that isn't going to hurt my team. Like why not do it? Yeah. What did you uh, What did you make of the game? I mean, going. I'll be honest with you. Going into Sunday, I thought nothing's going to be better than Vancouver and um, and Winnipeg from Saturday night. That was like, okay, that's a game of the weekend. Nothing's going to touch it. You know, especially these outdoor games. You know, the guy the guys are going at like seventy percent. It's not a controlled atmosphere. The games are never really that good. That game was awesome. 
That Islanders-Rangers game on Sunday after, it was fantastic, Peter. Yeah, it was it was really, really special and really cool. Uh, it, it's funny, the there were close to 80,000 fans there, which was, you could tell, like it was, it was packed. And I talked to a couple of the players who talked about how, like, I think playing in a football stadium rather than a baseball stadium, because there's, because of the way the stands were, they felt like the fans were closer, even if maybe they weren't. And it was really loud. It was a different type of noise than in a like confined arena where everything is kind of like bouncing around on those walls. But it was like, there was a distinct roar whenever goals were scored. That was really cool. And the hockey, so the atmosphere was, was great. And then the hockey game that followed was incredible. Like it was everything you want from an outdoor game in terms of ups and downs and yeah. like play the players obviously really cared. I wrote in my story that you can tell by the celebrations that it meant a little more like that. It, it, you know, in a playoff game where people after every goal, there's like a big celebration because every goal is so important. That is what like, obviously it wasn't a playoff game, but it was like, you look at Eric Gustafson's first goal and he's like going down to a knee and punching the air a few times. He said he blacked out and he was just like, yeah. he was thrilled. Like it, uh, that was the atmosphere that this fostered so- and it was really cool. So let me ask you this. So Scott Lachlan was talking about this on the air yesterday at uh, NHL Network Radio. He's uh, one half of the morning show with Gord Stellick. And Scott was wondering if it would, if there would be any appetite to do this same, because we just throw in the Flyers and the Devils in this mix as well, to do this every year with those four teams. It is, was such a smashing success. The rivalries and the storylines are already built in. The interest is there. You treat it like a, I don't know, a mini bean pot tournament. I don't know. Uh, that's within the schedule itself. Do you think that there would be appetite? I mean, there would be for me. I would suspect the same for you, but maybe from the NHL and the greater fan bases, would there be appetite to do this every season? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think that like the fans were there, like the the crowds were sold out. I do wonder if like some of the intrigue would would go away if it, it, like if it was happening every year, or if the fact that this was such a rare event led to it being um, yeah kind of having that atmosphere. I also wonder like is this a conversation we would have had if the Islanders had scored an empty net goal when Laviolette pulled his goalie and the game was over at. 6-3 or yeah I think it was would have been 6-3. Yeah. Uh, like the the I think the game itself was spectacular and that led to kind of some of the romanticism about like the atmosphere and maybe doing it again and again and again. I certainly like would not complain cuz it was really really fun. Um but yeah. I do wonder if like the NHL would probably look at it as like this was a smashing success here but why not invest our resources to try and have that same smashing success in a different market rather than one that's already kind of like, like you already know the New York market is going to be big. Maybe you try and replicate it somewhere else. So I don't know. It's a, it's a fair question. I like, I mean, I wouldn't complain about it, uh, but I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily seem like NHL's MO, but you never know. Yeah, it's an interesting one that, that Scotty went. I hadn't thought about it until Scotty mentioned. Like, you know what? That would be yeah. That would be super cool to make it like its its own sort of tent pole event. Like every year, 
you're getting these four teams, and we all know about you know yeah. the acrimony and the history and the the rivalry between all of them. I, I don't know. I I think it would be make make it make for a real nice tentpole destination hockey tourism weekend for all these uh, all four fan bases. Um, yeah, one more like, time for like, like one more question football. for you. Oh, sorry. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. That's a that's a great way to put it. Um, I got time for like one more question here. How is this Igor Shosturkin story going to sort itself out? Yeah, it's a good question. He uh, he was not good in January. I think February so far has been, even the outdoor game, like I think he saw some encouraging things of, yes, the beginning was bad, but he pulled it yeah. back together. And I think that's really important to like see him adjust within a game and not let it further slip away from him. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I've, I've been pretty consistent when I've written about it of like the Rangers, Jonathan Quick's a great story and he's a good goaltender, but for the Rangers to get where they yeah. want to go, Shesterkin's going to have to be the guy. So, like, I think the Rangers are going to do everything in their power to make make sure he's ready to go come playoffs. He's going to be back in net tonight against Dallas, um, and and it all it's going to be interesting though to see how that kind of shakes out. It will be. Uh, great to have you on a, a real fun beat. Like, Colorado's a fun beat, and you're there to cover a Stanley Cup. A big apple, man. Like, this is this is a fascinating team and a great market and coming off a great stadium series game and Matt Rempe and Artemi Panarin and Peter LaViolette and pulling goalies early, and it's a lot of fun to follow <laughs> the New York Rangers. Uh, Peter, thanks, thanks as always for stopping by and sharing your expertise. I really appreciate it, pal. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. There is Peter Baugh, who covers the uh, New York Rangers for The Athletic. You can follow him there. A very successful weekend at, uh, at MetLife. That was a fantastic couple of games. Great atmosphere. Like, all of it really hit. Devils, Flyers. It was great. You know, I think Scott Lachlan is on to something here about making that an annual. Or maybe make it every two years. I don't know. But just do something consistent with those four teams on this week, on that weekend that we just saw. Make it a tent pole. Make it a, a hockey tourism destination. I don't know. Just lob it out there. Of course, you know, I don't have any hands on the wheel on this. And I'm talking a lot from the back seat as I do here. But nonetheless, feels like the right idea. How about that? Time now for Line Change. Presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local stars and Rangers. Uh, Rangers minus 1.5. The Rangers 7-0 and straight up in their last seven games. Uh, the total has gone over in five of the Rangers' last seven games against Dallas. The total has gone over in seven of Dallas's last ten games. Dallas seven and three straight up in their last ten games. This one is a fascinating one. This one, I think, legitimately we can look at and wonder. Stanley Cup preview, maybe Dallas Stars and the New York Rangers. Uh, I think a lot of us would uh, would love to see that one. Dallas looks like they're the class of the Central Division. Uh, they've been fantastic, and don't look now, but Logan Sankhoven has been called up. Do we get to see him tonight, facing off against the Rangers? We shall see. And the Rangers coming off a very successful weekend, um, where Artemi Panarin once again is the star of the show in overtime. I didn't really want to mention who the defenseman was who coughed up the puck to lead the Panarin goal because I really like Noah Dobson of the Islanders. And Noah Dobson's had a really good season. So don't mention the defenseman that coughed up the puck in front of the net to lead the Artemi Panarin goal in overtime. Okay? Got it? That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bets Local. Adam Oates and Phil Bork, big hour two. Don't go anywhere. I'm across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Merrick's show continues. Don't go anywhere.
deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Particularly embarrassing for me. I can already see it coming right now. I tend to geek out when I talk to Adam Oates specifically because a lot of the things that I'm interested in, Adam Oates is uh, is an authority in. And he's someone that can really open your eyes and open your mind to different possibilities as it relates to coaching, as it relates to skills, as it relates to sticks, as it relates to equipment, as it relates to training. You know, Adam is one of the more sublime thinkers in the NHL, one of the most interesting people that you can talk to or or listen to. And you may not agree with everything he says, but the majority of what he says makes a lot of sense, whether you agree with them or not, whether it is, again, sticks or training or, you know, uh, how to play, how to protect yourself on the ice. Um, he's one of the great thinkers of the game and one of the great trainers of the game. And the evidence is before us right now in the NHL with a number of players. Um, so let's bring him aboard. Uh, Phil Bork, by the way, coming up at the bottom of the hour. For the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame member, he is the founder of Oats Sports Group. And uh, people in his orbit call him not Oatsy, but Goatsy. He is the one and only Adam Oats, and he joins me now. Adam, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. So, you know... <sighs> You've made. I'd like to know what people. Watching... I'd like to know what people don't agree with. <laughs> oh, listen. You know, it's it's funny too because uh, I've had conversations. Uh, a lot of them, you know, I've said things like, "Well, you know, I had a conversation with uh, with Adam Oates, and he believes this, and he he believes like this." And a lot of what I hear from you makes makes a ton of sense. Like I can recall specifically. <laughs> I'll tell you what. One of the things that uh, that really stuck with people and found a home with people, when you were on with me and Elliot a couple of years ago, you talked about, you know, getting toys off the ice and, you know, the game situation. And I can't tell you how many trainers from uh, from Power Edge Pro I got calling me saying, what is he, what is he talking about? What's, what's going on here? What's this Adam Oates going on about? Get the toys off the ice. But a lot of it does make a ton of sense. So let, let me jump in. Let me jump in with, with, with training and with NHL players, Adam. And um, some of the more boring things that you have players do, which can also uh, not only help them play, but also protect them on the ice. Like I've told the story that, that you told me about, you know, practicing putting your bottom hand on the stick with your head up. A really boring drill, but if you don't know how to do it, you can really put yourself in a vulnerable position. What are some of the boring things you have some of your elite NHLers go through on a regular basis? You know, great question. And and by the way, it's probably the hardest thing for me training with the guys because they get bored, right? And mm. at the end of the day, if you're a right shot defenseman, you have to go into your corner every shift of your life. So shouldn't you get good in your corner? Shouldn't you get good at going back for the puck, being able to collect that grenade? Where's the goalie? Where's your partner? Uh, who's chasing you down, where's the other guy? So at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff we do is is tedious, but they haven't mastered it. So every day I kind of have to have a, come up with a sort of different version of doing the same drill and making it sort of fun. And that's 
that's that's a, that's a tough job for every coach just with your team you know we're working on breakouts mm. how, how do you work on breakouts every day without making the guys bored very difficult right you know, one of the um, a couple of the skills that are really whether it's young hockey players, whether it's um, NHLers, and you mentioned you know defensemen with retrievals in their in, in their own corner. Um, a couple of the more you know the obviously really necessary skills, like for a winger getting pucks off the boards, uh, defensemen doing retrievals. I am curious from your point of view. I mean, you train so many different players at so many different levels. Um, what do you think the hardest thing to for a hockey player to learn is? I know it's going to be specific. This is the hardest thing for centers. This is hardest for wingers. This is hardest for D. Can you go through almost a menu, Adam, of the hardest thing for a D to learn center and wingers as well? Yeah, kind of. Um, the hardest thing there is in hockey is getting control of the puck. How fast can you get control of the puck? And control of the puck means that you can make a decision. You can change your mind. Oh, I thought this guy was open and he's covered. So can you change your mind and do something different, right? Like I'm on my forehand, I have to go to my mm. backhand. How do I do that, right? And, and it's funny because one of the hardest things for me, and I would tell every single coach, you have to be careful what you say to a player. For example, you hear the phrases, don't dust it off right? Don't stick handle the puck. Yep. Well, if I ask you a question, Jeff, every single shot yeah. that hits the goalie's pads, he makes a save. How does that puck come yeah. off the pads? Depends on, I, I, I would go, I would throw a hockey geek answer to you, which is Depends on the pads and depends on the goaltenders. Some goaltenders have pads where the rebound lies in front of them. Others want to kick it out to center ice. Okay, agreed. Is the puck ever flat? No. No. Correct. Correct. And I'm sure there's somebody out there that can find one in a million that it's flat. But the other <laughs> one, it's not flat. It is hitting his pads and coming yeah. off his pads. Yeah. In any direction, like you said, he could steer it for sure, but it's coming yeah. off his pads like a grenade. So how mm. can you tell a player, don't dust it off when he sees a grenade? And we are all very coachable guys. We do what we're told. We want our coaches to like us. But if you've used the phrase to a player, don't stick handle the puck, what would you like him to do right there? Mm-hmm. And that puts that yeah, guy. See, I, in a... I, I wonder. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, no, that no, no. Puts please, that please, please, please finish. Very awkward position. Because. How, he's, how often. He's... Go ahead. Sorry, man. No, no, please. I'm, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. It, like, it puts him in a tough position because he's trying to do what he's told and he sees that it's rolling, it's on edge. It's spinning. It's it's a little bit to his left. It's a little bit out of his reach. So he has to figure out some way to get that under control so that he can move it somewhere. So what I would tell a coach would be show a player when you think he's over stick handling, but you can't make a blanket statement about anything. You can't because it's just not hockey. And I, and, I, and that puts guys in tough spots. And and you know like you think about a guy like Eric Carlson. Well, Eric stick handled it. Yeah, but you're not Eric Carlson. Well, I know that. Hmm. But don't you want me to be? Like, so I have to stick handle the puck. 
So the the, the blanket statement um, uh, idea is an interesting one. And the example that you raise is an interesting one because I'm sure, you know, I was brought up to believe this and a lot of us were brought up to believe one thing always shoot a bouncing puck or always shoot a rolling puck because goaltenders have no idea where it's going to go. How do you advise your clients? And we should point out, I mean, you work with like, you know, the Eichels and the Shifleys and like like countless other NHLers as well. How do you advise them on what to do with rolling or bouncing pucks? Well, a lot of the, you know, like when I get guys, they've got some experience in their lives that, so they've had to deal with some of that. You know, and, and a lot of it comes into like your, you know, the puck's bouncing. How much time do you have? Do you have to try and one time it somewhere? Do you do you have to try and shovel it somewhere? Do you have to put, push it in a certain direction? Do you have enough time to stick handle it? And those are all the sort of like every kind of bouncing puck has some form of that. And you have to be careful of whiffing it, right? Because you go to hit a bouncing mm-hmm. puck and you kind of miss. Now you're in trouble, right? Because you've whiffed it, and now the puck's maybe a little bit behind you, a little bit between your feet, and you got guys closing on you. So these are all the sort of day-to-day decisions that players make all the time. I want to stick on coaching here for a second because I know you're particularly passionate about it, and there's a lot of things I want to get into here with you. I want to get to Austin Matthews and that goal last night, for example, and I want to talk about Austin Matthews and the shots. Um, but first, let me let me ask you about coaches right now. Like in, in your mind, when it comes to uh, developing players, teaching players, coaching players, like what makes a good coach for Adam Oates? Um, a guy that's willing to have a little gray area, and a guy that understands every player's leash, because we're all here to win. That's a fact. We are, but. Every player has a different leash. And obviously the superstars of the teams have a different leash than the seventh defenseman and the 13th forward. The backup goalie has a different leash than the starter. So I, I sure. like a coach sensitive to that and will try and help a guy through that and try and help a guy grow. Because, you know, I am putting you in my lineup. I need you to execute. I want you to execute. So to me, obviously... The technically the superstar is supposed to be the best player, so you expect more from him than the 12th forward. But I still need my 12th mm-hmm. forward to become the 11th forward because that guy wants to grow, that guy wants to keep playing. And we, we, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people lately about, you know, what is true development. You know, technically, you got 15 guys in your lineup with more than one year on their term, aren't those the guys you should be developing? For example, Rasmussen just signed in Detroit, four years, twelve million. Yep, that's technically yep. that's technically a third line guy, right? But mm-hmm. clearly, Steve Eisman likes him because he got four years. So to me, like obviously, they like you. Uh, but if I'm Detroit, I want to make that guy just a hair better every day, right? So that that's true development to me, and that's to me, I like a coach who who likes to think like that. You want to get the most out of every guy. What do you consider to be development? I am curious. Like for like for younger ages, like a lot of it is 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 more obvious. But when we're talking about you know elite players in the NHL, well, listen, you make it to the NHL, you're an elite player. Like, what's development at that level? Well, technically, let's say you're the seventh defenseman. You are in okay. there, twenty three guys. You're part of their group. 
Um, but if you're the seventh defenseman, you are worried about your job. You are. You're worried you're probably, there's a chance you could get sent to the minors, which no one wants. So development would be for that particular D coach to try and make that guy better in whatever skill that you think he's missing. Because he's not in the lineup for a reason. Right? So, and not every guy has the same body type. Not every guy has the same skill set. But clearly, if that guy's not in the lineup, and I'm just using that guy as a hypothetical, is there's something that you don't like that he's not in front of the sixth defenseman or the fourth defenseman. So technically, every guy, every guy has something. Every guy. And obviously, the guys that are elite are looking for it every day, all the time. Uh, but to me, a good coach understands that principle. And how can I try and make this guy better within the day-to-day operation of, of our team? Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me drill down on a couple of players here. Uh, I am curious your thoughts. On, well, first of all, actually, whenever we get together, we end up talking about Mark Shifley, and, and here I go again. He's one of my favorite players to watch. Um, is Mark Shifley doing anything differently this season? Um, you know what? I, I, I would say Shifley's playing pretty well. Um, there's always more. You know, he got four points the other night against Vancouver. Uh, and yep. one of the points... One of the points, he got an assist, but he took a bad hit. Yeah. So I was mad at him for taking the bad hit because he should have seen the hit coming. Okay. So why didn't okay. you see the hit? That that got us to a very Adam Oates spot in this conversation. And that is, whenever I have conversations with you, you talk about players protecting themselves on the ice. We mentioned the the stick example of, you know, bottom hand on the stick, do it with your chin up, practice that. Unless you, if you don't, you're, you're going to get rocked out there. What could Shifley have done differently on that play so he didn't take one on the chin? Well, he was, he was coming up to the blue line, so he's running out of time to make a decision. He's on his backhand side, so therefore he's got to look to his right. And as he's looking to his right, you have to stick handle the puck a certain way. And then his decisions are, do I dump it in? Do I have enough time? Can I get the blue line? But there's still a guy closing on you. So there is a way Mm -hmm. that you could have made the play that he made and avoided that type of contact. He still would have got bumped. That's a fact. But he took too much contact. And that's something that we work on. So will he will 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 he Adam recognize that right away and like send you a text saying yeah my bad on that one? He actually did it when I woke up in the morning. The text was already there. <laughs> so he had, he had knew what he had, he already knew what he had done. Yeah, yeah, and you know no one's perfect. Like we understand that, but we're all seeking sure. perfection, right? Mm-hmm. We are. We're all seeking perfection. We want we want more. Like. The, you know, and that's the beauty of what I do and what I love is, like, all the guys that call me, they want more. They want to be better. They want to be better for their team. They want to be better for themselves, of course, but they want to be better for their team. And that's mm. I enjoy that. That's why it's it's not easy. It's not hard for me to be dedicated. I, I love it. So there's a guy, and obviously the Winnipeg Jets yep. don't want him. They don't want him hurt. Yeah. Right? right. So it's my job to try and figure out the best way to explain and work on Oh, you're going to take contact there, but you're going to you're going to take it in a way that you're deflecting it. You're not taking it head on. 
Um, one of my favorite, by the way, talking to Adam Oates, OatesSportsGroup.com is the uh, website. Um, one of my favorite things to do is, is ask you about individual players and individual plays. Like I still maintain, like Adam, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before. I still maintain that there is a great show out there starring Adam Oates and it's called Watching Wayne Gretzky. And it is a microphone on Adam Oates as you watch Wayne Gretzky games and you explain exactly what Wayne Gretzky is doing and thinking at all these different... I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've sat next to you breaking down how Gretzky plays and it's fascinating. But for the purposes of this conversation, you know, Austin Matthews is trending towards 75 goals at this point. Scored another one last night against the St. Louis... Yesterday afternoon against the St. Louis Blues. Goal number 49. What did you see in that one specifically? But you know what? Like I find what I do every morning is I watch every goal, every single goal. And you can come up, you can come up with drills based on every goal. So for example, if you watch him on that goal, first of all, he's playing with Mitch Marner who can pass the puck. They have a fantastic chemistry. They have a fantastic chemistry. Clearly they have a fantastic chemistry. And he's a goal scorer. And one of, I've said this a million times, one of the things that people don't give goal scorers enough credit for is he knows when to get open. He knows how to get open. Yes, the man knows how to shoot a puck. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. But if you watch that goal, you watch him turn. And then all of a sudden he takes like a stride of speed because he's timing Mitch Marner. So then you watch Marner. So he gets it, he goes behind the net, which a lot of guys do, but somehow that man knows how to wait and put it through traffic because every defenseman is going to try and go stick on puck, right? But Marner happens to be a guy that yep. knows how to see holes through a triangle, through the skates. He knows how to time his man, and he puts it in Matthew's wheelhouse. So the pass was pretty perfect, and Matthews knows how to shoot a puck fantastically. So, like... To me, that's poetry watching those two mm -hmm. guys right there. It's fantastic. And then you could actually watch it from the same you know, blues point of view, which is right. okay, we're defensemen. We've heard the expression stick on puck a lot in our lives. How come sure. that guy didn't stick on puck correctly? Now he tried. He did. And I will I will tell you that's a cat and mouse game. That if you give Marner time, he wins that game 99% of the time. And so did Wayne Gretzky, right. right? If you give that player time, he will find holes, right? But technically, you're trying to teach your defenseman to go stick on puck, right? So, mm -hmm. like, to me, just one goal has so many skills within it, right? And obviously, we all we all love watching Matthews and Marner connect, right? Because And they're fantastic at it. You know, I, I, I thought of you during that goal because, and I thought of, listen, uh, we all know about, you know, how you, uh, you know, how you and, and Brett Hall worked together for, for so many years. And I'm watching Matthews, he's up using high ice, just circling, sort of being out of the play. And I remember one of the great quotes from Brett Hall, which was something along the lines of, sometimes the best way to be in the play is to be out of the play. Like you may look at Austin Matthews on that play and you say, okay, he's not a factor, he's out of the play. But in his mind, he's still in the play. He's just hiding at that point. Is that accurate? I would say that's very accurate. And I would say, you know, um, the great goal scorers have it, right? The ability, he was, he was paying attention. He was, 
Um, and he, that's why he's like a shark in the water, right? Like he turned and within, within a split second, he's mm. wide open. Right? And, you know, one of the best examples is Sidney Crosby. Like we've, we've been fortunate enough to watch him for a long, long time. And we kind of all know where he stands the whole game. Yet all he ever does is produce, yep. right? So talk about a man that knows how to hide. I would say Crosby's the best. He is excellent. Um, when we think about Austin Matthews and everybody, my kids included, everybody wants to shoot that same way. I have one right-hand shot uh, boy and I have one left-hand shot boy. And my left-hand shot kid just loves doing that Matthews-style shot, draw it in, shoot on the on the, on the the outside foot. Um, are there any red flags around that for you? Uh, there can be, yes. Uh, you know, every time you shoot a puck, do you have balance? Right. So when I watch guys, the one thing that you don't want, you know, like, for example, uh, Connor Bedard, obviously, first pick overall, obviously going to be a great player. Um, if you watch when he hurt himself, he bobbled the puck. And in that split second that he bobbled the puck, he had a little mini fall. So when you go to pass a puck or shoot a puck, you got to be really careful if there's a little mini fall. So when I watch guys, that's what I'm watching for because, like, the last thing we would want is for a guy to – and once again, nobody's perfect, right? Like, like we do play a game where there's some errors, and it's a fast game, and it's yeah. contact. So, so you have to be conscious of that, and, and you have to be leery when you go into traffic, right? So, like, where Austin was last night, he'd, he had had a chance to see everything, so he could put everything into that shot. No problem. But if there's a guy coming at him, he should, I'm sure he would, you know, a guy of his caliber, 99% of the time he sees that, right? And that's, but that's just stuff mm-hmm. you work on. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's what keeps you sharp. You see, I, I, I wonder about, like, hearing you talk about shooting. Like, there's always, like, when you're at that moment where you're releasing the puck, uh, you're making a decision, one, A, to, to release the puck and get a shot on net. But two, in a lot of ways, put yourself in a vulnerable position because as you shoot, you're not braced for contact. And I know the one thing that you always talk about is being aware of potential contact at all times on the ice. We've all heard you before talking about how to, you know, sort of concussion-proof your game. Um, when Essentially what I'm asking is, is there a safe way to shoot out there, especially now, like so many guys cut to the middle. I know it's not like 30 years ago where you cut to the middle, it's, you know, uh, uh, heads up for the Scott Stevens out there. But is there a way to make shooting safer? Of course. Number one, like every shot requires something. Okay, is it a one-timer, right? Is it a one-touch? Uh, and then the, the hard part is which foot are you shooting off? Because the, the, generally the hockey school wrist shot requires both feet, generally. Yep. And, you you know, uh, can you shoot that puck and recoil in a way that you didn't fall forward? That's, that's part of it. Then there are shots where if you're coming down, say you're a left shot, you're coming down the left side, you get a pass across the ice, you better learn how to shoot off your left foot. And not everybody can. Not, I would say the number one weakness for every guy is right-handed players struggle moving right. Left-handed players struggle moving left. And a lot of that is the stick, the curve, and how they've developed habits. And that's the first one of the first things we go to when we work with clients. 
Is there stick? Oh, of course. Of course. But okay. This gets me to more <laughs> animal. This gets me to okay. This, to th yeah. So th this gets me right into the the the, the sweet the, the sweet spot of the Adam Oates conversation. So when I because I haven't talked to you for so many years, I, I I focus on these things now. Things like pucks going underneath blades or pucks going off toes of sticks. Um, in your mind. Is there a is there like a, a a a one pattern fits all for stick blades in your mind? Yes, absolutely. What does absolutely. it look like? It looks like Eric Carlson's. It, it looks like Mitch Marner's. Um, it's so to me, you know, to me, it's the ability to do everything. Can you take the spin out of a puck? Yes. Can you move left? Can you move right? Can you back up and go forward and stick it on the puck? Yeah, it's, it's, that's all it is. You know, I, I wouldn't try and complicate it. It's, but to me, it's like Mitch Marner's stick. Why? Well, he can do everything. Mm -hmm. He can do everything. Well, now, if you had what, a is, heel what is it about example, the? <clears throat> if yeah. you had a heel curve, could you shoot it harder? Yeah, probably. But that's not what scores. Hard isn't what scores. Yeah. It's not. Could it, you know, the long drive mm. champion in golf doesn't play golf, does he? Right? right? So at the end of the day, we play hockey. We play hockey. You have to do everything. And yeah, certain guys have certain strengths. They can do certain things better than other things. That's a fact. But in terms of being able to play the puck correctly, optimally, there, to me, there's an optimal curve. And I have drills. Yeah, what is that? What is that? I can, I got drills that I can prove it to guys. And how, how many of them are skeptical and how many of them change? Uh, I would say uh, three out of 10 are skeptical and mm -hmm. two out of 10 change. Every once in a while, there's guys that don't change. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to wrestle with that all the time. What's more important, um, the, the the heel of the blade or the toe of it? Both. Both matter. Because if I have opportunity to load the puck, it's on my toe. If I'm skating and I'm bent over a little bit, my toe comes off the ice, so I'm using my heel. Mm -hmm. So it's all based on posture. So are you looking... So is it all, is it, is it, you're looking then for a flatter heel on the blade? Yeah. Like when, for more when control? the shaft goes, when my shaft goes into my blade, it's straight at the joint. There's no warp at the joint. The curve comes later down the blade. Hmm. Could you think about Who it? Who uses that when stick now? When, when you're, when, when you're, when you think about it and you're moving, the toes off the ice. It's not on the ice. Yep. So your stick rocks up, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're using yep. the joint. So who? Uh, so like when when we look at players in the NHL, because a lot of us are, are fascinated. Well, I'm fascinated by this. I think a lot of other people are too. When we look at blades, yeah. Uh, for for NHLers, like who you who uses what we're talking about here or what you're talking about here. 
pretty much almost every good player on every team. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, good, the good players produce for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, take um, Eric Carlson. Take care of Carlson because he's probably arguably maybe the, the guy that I like the most that I've never met. I've never even met him. Hmm. But I've liked him for a long, long time. I have a lot of Eric Carlson video. And obviously, when you think of him, he's not a guy that you would think uh, defensively. Right? We, we think of him in an offensive yep. way, controlling the offensive blue line. I sent the clip out to my, all my D a week ago. He squashed a two-on-one faster than anybody would ever know. And he did it with his skill. He's got skills that only 10% of the D have, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why, yeah, okay, if he gets caught in front of his own goalie and, and, and Tom Wilson's there, well, it's a tough spot for anybody with Tom Wilson, right? But, but yep. in terms of breaking his team out, he's the best. He's the best. And we don't think Ooh, of him that um... way. We don't, but we think of the skill. Like that's the thing. Like he's and 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 when you when and when you when you play, you know, when you play the percentages and you say, okay, well, if he creates fifteen opportunities a game, but he costs you four, like with those margins, you win championships, right? It's just Correct. that I think we focus so much on the glaring on the uh, uh, on the glaring misses in his own zone. One player I want to ask you about um, as well, specifically, I'm running out of time here. Um, is Yuri Slavkovsky? What's the difference in his game right now? Um, I would say he's got a little seasoning under his belt. Um, obviously, you know, very touted, big man. He got hurt a couple times. Uh, I think, you yep. know, he's playing for Marty St. Louis, so I'm sure based on Marty, he's learning a little bit about the game on a daily basis. Uh, they got him in a good spot on the PP. He's playing with Suzuki. So there's a lot of little things that are allowing him to grow, and mm -hmm. he's growing. But, but getting back to Eric Carlson real he, uh, quick, just because it goes sure. to the very first question you asked me, which is yeah. about the boredom, which is about the boredom, right? Which is like Eric Carlson breaks yeah. his team out. He breaks them out. We don't think like that about him. Mm -hmm. But when you watch him, he breaks his team out. That's the number mm -hmm. one rule. D, D, break your team out. Learn how to break your team out. And what a coincidence. He's got the most skill back there that we don't see. Because we're so so focused on watching it on the offensive blue line, right? Yep. Listen, it's the, it's, the, it's 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 uh, puck goes in, puck goes out. Defense is simple, right? Puck goes in, puck goes out. Um, Adam, uh, it is always a delight catching up with you. Uh, OatsSportsGroup.com is uh, is Adam's website. Um, listen, he trains clients of all ages, including uh, elite level NHLers. Uh, those are the ones that are obviously most on display. Adam, you be well. We'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for listen. This is always interesting. Thanks so much for sharing expertise on everything from coaching to blades to breaking the puck uh -huh. out, to putting your bottom hand on the stick to the Austin Matthews shot to hiding on the ice. You're the best, man. Thanks as always for stopping by. This is always a pleasurable conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man. Adam Oates, man, I'll tell you, this guy is, you know, I, I described him off the top of the show as this, like, hockey savant, like, hockey 
I yes, I use the word genius, but I really believe that when you when you talk to Oates about all the different intricacies of the game and how it's played and how it should be played. And I thought that was interesting that, you know, after Shifley got caught in that game against the Vancouver Canucks that right away the text went to his trainer, uh, Adam Oates, essentially saying, Yeah, my bad. I should have done something differently on that one. You know, it, it's interesting his thoughts as well. Um, one of the takeaways, if you're a, if you're a hockey parent and teaching your son or daughter, or your skills coach is teaching your son or daughter, the idea of the hardest thing is a left hand shot is moving to your left, and the hardest thing is a right hand shot is moving to your right. Uh, the other interesting takeaway is always about blind spots when shooting, uh, which if we had more time, we probably got uh, could have got into more. You know, one of the criticisms that we have heard about that Connor Bedard slash Austin Matthews style shot is if you're a left-hand shot, you load up on the right leg and you fire it, and that creates a pretty big blind spot to the right side. So everything comes with its own potential danger. Uh, the interesting thing about Oates is how he tries to create scenarios and 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 uh, and drills uh, and ways to play that get rid of the danger in the game. You know, it's fascinating to hear Oates talk about, you know, hockey really can be a safe game. We look at it and we say, well, it's chaotic and... Injuries are a necessary byproduct of all of it. I think collisions are, certainly, and maybe injuries are a byproduct of it. Obviously, it's a contact game with large individuals. But Oates's point has always been there shouldn't be the number of injuries that we see in the NHL. And how many times have you heard everybody say this, not just old-timers, but new trainers as well? You're responsible for your safety on the ice. There's going to be dummies that run at you, of course. That's going to happen. But by and large, a lot of the injuries that we do see, according to Adam Oates, kind of your own fault out there. I think one of the main underlying messages that Oates tries to get through is protect yourself at all times. I always remember what Craig Simpson told me about his son, Dylan. Uh, he said, you know, when we first started with, uh, with contact with Dylan, I used to always tell him, assume at every moment on the ice you are about to be hit um, and prepare yourself as if you are about to be hit and if you do get hit, you're ready. And if you don't, it's a bonus. But always prepare yourself at every moment for contact. Don't just rely on, well, the referee is going to sit him down for two, five or more. Don't rely on that. Protect yourself out there. Uh, thanks, as always, for Adam Oates, uh, to Adam Oates, rather, for stopping by. Phil Bork's going to join me in a couple of moments. Uh, we'll recap the weekend that we just saw in Pittsburgh with Yarmur Yager. 68 goes to the rafters. That was the main part of the weekend. Uh, but there are a lot of takeaways from seeing Yager back in Pittsburgh, whether it's on the ice at practice, on the ice at warm-up, the mullets with the Penguins, uh, the interview in the booth with Phil Bork and, uh, and Josh Getzoff, where the... F-bomb was dropped by Yarmur Yager to say nothing of his speech on Sunday as well, which really hit all the right notes. Uh, talking to Phil Bork, the great Phil Bork in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Phil Bork, joining me next. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Welcome back to the program. Uh, big thanks to Adam Oates for stopping by a couple of moments ago. I uh, always appreciate our conversations with Adam uh, about skills, about teams, about coaching, about you name it, under the sun, about training hockey players at various levels, including some of the elites in the NHL. Uh, my next guest is always a delight to talk to. Uh, he's a great analyst. He was a great player. He was a Stanley Cup champion. He is also an author. And I went back and, and read the book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Ice, Locker Room, and Press Box, uh, before the weekend of Yager in Pittsburgh. My guest is the great Phil Bork. He joins me now. Phil, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing well. So, listen, last year, around New Year's, we're in Boston. You, me, and Elliot sit down to talk uh, about the Winter Classic, about your career, and we start talking about Yager, and we start talking about the number. And in a lot of ways, I know you don't want to take a bow for this or, or a victory lap or anything like that. That's really not your style, but... A lot of this, Phil, was because of your work in the uh, extending the olive branch and going to visit Yager and, you know, essentially just sort of starting the thaw between the Pittsburgh Penguins organization and one of the greatest players, not only to suit up for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but to ever play the game. Can you can you walk us through what you did here specifically? Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about it, but uh, I'm proud of obviously the the words that i chose that and that's a great word to thaw things out between the penguins and yarmo yager uh you know it was it was right before covid jeff and my girlfriend at the time now my wife we planned on going to western europe just for a little vacay so we flew from philly over to paris just for a night and i said listen if we're gonna go that far yogs is still playing we should go over and see him She's like, yeah, let's go do it. So I called him up. Happened that the timing was perfect. They were at home. He's like, listen, check into your hotel. I know where you're staying. I'll have a car waiting for you. We'll get you over to the game. Boom. I'll meet you after the game. They call it the VIP room, VIP room. All the European teams have. Yeah. And so he came up. We waited forever because he's probably, you know, doing a thousand squats after the game, which he likes to do. He came up uh, with his, uh, with his uh, you know, hockey underwear still on, Jeff. And we had some yeah. uh, some just delightful Czech beer. And I told him, he, you know, I said, listen, they would like to have, retire your jersey act. He went, no, Borky, no, no, no. He goes, no way. They hate me. They boo me. Uh, no way. This, this isn't going to work. I said, Yags, we hated you because you were Washington Capitals and the New York Ranger. And God almighty, he was a Philadelphia Flyer. So we hated the jersey <laughs> and how good you were. Not you, the person. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did try to thaw some of the, the thoughts that he had. And I, I guess I did kind of get the ball turning. You know, it's interesting, too, in a situation like this. And listen, we all, you know, we all grow up. We all get older. I'm no different than you, no different than Yager, no different than, you know, anybody else who's had, you know, acrimony in their past. Um, thaws don't happen unless, as a person, you also thaw a little bit. And, you know, Yager talked about this over the weekend. And by the way, it was a beautiful weekend. That was so awesome. It was so great to see at every level, on the ice, off the ice, in the broadcast booth. Everything was, was great. Um, you know, it, it, none of that really happens unless, as a person, Yager himself thawed a little bit. Like, how different, 
you know, was Yager? Because, you know, I'm reading, you know, your book this weekend and you talk about, you know, your old Pittsburgh Penguins team and the, the sections that you have about Yager. You know, he was a very, he mentioned this about how he was, you know, difficult at times and, you know, seemed maybe angry at times, but he's just such a focused competitor. How different is Yager today than he was when you guys were teammates? Man, it, it gives me joy that you picked up on that. It really does because, you know, there was times as a broadcaster, I'd go try to talk to Yags, whether he was a Ranger mm-hmm. or a Bruin or whoever it was, and a little bit, a little bit standoffish. And I walked away going, "What? You know, what's his problem?" You know, and he admitted I was a bit of a jerk. You know, I was, I, I kind of had these walls up, and it was part of my persona. You know, of always on edge, always with that chip on my shoulder, always wanting to be the best player. And I was standoffish and I shouldn't have been. And, you know, he uh, the other thing he talked mm. a lot about, Jeff, it was about the religion and the relationship he has with this priest in Czechoslovakia and his legacy on who mm. he wants to be known as. Not only as a hockey player, but I guess more, more importantly now for him. And you mentioned when you get to your 50s, as he is, just turned 52 the other day, yeah. you start to reflect. Because you're closer to the end than the middle, right? And what is your legacy? And, you know, he doesn't have kids. He's not married. For most of us, it's our kids. For him, he wants to be known as a good person, not only a great hockey player. And he's uh, he's making amends. He's uh, patching up a lot of things that he felt like um, were not right in his life. And I, I really applaud him for mm-hmm. that because the way he went about his business this weekend, everybody he talked to or talked about, I think he got everything off his chest. It was a big cleansing, but it was like a breath of fresh air here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to ask you uh, towards the end of this interview, sort of, you know, what's next for Yager and, and the Pittsburgh Penguins? But before we get there, Phil, um, so many things stood out for me. I, I don't think that Yager wanted to go on the ice originally and practice with the Penguins, but like, come on. And, you know, go on for, for the for the, the pregame skate and the, all the guys are wearing the, the Yager mullets. And I'll tell you what, one of the enduring visuals that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my hockey days is <laughs> is Crosby doing his warm-up routine with the Yager. I'm like, it looks so, honestly, Phil, it looks so good. It just yeah. looked awesome. Like, what are, you t- what are you taking away from this weekend? Either, you know, something that you felt, something that you saw, something that you heard. Like, uh, of all your senses, what are you, what are you taking away from Yager? weekend no before i answer your question you're right i love that the penguins players mike sullivan the head coach even jim hiller the head coach of the los angeles kings he was said you know these things that sometimes they can be awkward you know he said we're going to be on the bench we're going to embrace it we're going to enjoy it we're going to soak it in because he deserves that and so yeah the game was the game but the ceremonies were were legendary something that we haven't seen here in a long time a whole generation 20 years since Mario's jersey went up. But I'll tell you, the thing that I continue to think about, in fact, I was thinking about this morning, was he talked about going into Craig Patrick's office um, before they traded him to the Washington Capitals and really fell on the sword, Jeff. You know, he realized that Marty hmm. Straka, Alexei Kovalev, and Robert Lang were all up for contracts. Mario had just come back. Yep. And he said to Craig, who had drafted him back in 1995th overall, said, Craig, I know you'll never trade me, but you have these other guys to sign. You have Mario back. It might be a time to trade me now. He was not happy with his playoffs that time, uh, at that time of his career, mm-hmm. and maybe felt like, you know, some fresh air might be good for him. And he knew I'm not the guy that puts butts in the seats. You got Mario back. 
he puts the butts in the seats. You could sign three guys basically for what I'm making. So he fell on that sword. Craig did trade him, give Craig, Craig a lot of credit. Um, and, and on we went. The, the franchise at the time, Jeff, I don't know if you know this, they were in dire straits, man. They weren't able to pay their hotel oh, yeah. bills. They weren't able to pay the bills for, oh, yeah. for sticks that were coming in. They were in so much trouble. Yogs knew that side of the business and did what he had to do. Uh, talking to Phil Bork, let me let me read uh, something here to our to our listeners. I I just love the way that you write about this. So this is this is what you wrote about Yarmir Yager in in your book. Uh, people forget how raw Yager was when he came to the Penguins in 1990. He was literally a kid. That first year was really really hard for him because he was homesick all of the time. One of the things that I don't think we we take too much stock of, and we just saw this with uh, Voronkov in, in Columbus this year specifically, talking openly about being homesick. What was that like? Like, take us back to that first season of that first season of Yager with the Penguins. I asked him about it. We did a roundtable at the local casino here uh, with Kevin Stevens and Jay Caulfield and myself, and uh, I asked him that because. I'm sure you've heard the stories about our locker room back in the 91, 92 cup runs. Oh, yeah. We had a bunch of alpha males that talked to each other like we hated oh, each yeah. other, but we, we were holding each other accountable. <laughs> so he said probably the best thing was I didn't speak English, so I didn't know what you guys were talking about. Uh, but, yeah, he was, I mean, homesick. Uh, the biggest yeah. thing, one of the biggest things that happened in Penguin history is – uh, Craig Patrick and Scotty Bowman, after you know Badger Bob had got sick and, and passed away, they went out and got uh, Yuri Herdina, George Herdina, yeah, we called him uh, from the Calgary Flames, and he sat next to Yogs and he helped Yogs translate. And all of a sudden, Yogs, I think he had gone on a stretch, fourteen games without a goal. All of a sudden, he goes on a tear. It's not a coincidence. And his mom came over and was mm-hmm. cooking for him, and so a lot of uh, things that made him just feel you know this much more comfortable, Jeff. Uh, made his game take yeah. off. And so it sounds like a little thing, but it was actually a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, Phil, that I always love asking players about is other players and unappreciated skills. Like, I watch the games, either in the stands or on television. You're on the ice, or we're on the ice with with Yager uh, and all these greats. Like, we... I look at Yager and like the the the, the keep away against the Chicago Blackhawks is a, is an image that's going to endure forever. Sure. Um, him sticking that big butt out to buy himself space uh, is going to endure forever. But as a as someone you know who was on the ice with Yager, are there a couple of skills that he had that someone like me, because I didn't play in the NHL, will never appreciate? But the guys go like, "Wow, that's that is that is vintage Yager." Uh, his ability to almost embarrass great goaltenders on breakaways. He was exceptional on breakaways. You know, mm. some guys like like uh, Ovi, right? Ovi's not great on breakaways. Yep. But but uh, Gretzky, not Gretzky, same Gretzky thing. Was not great. Yeah, clear cut breakaways. You know, 80, 90, 100 foot breakaways. They weren't great. Yogs was incredible. Um, yeah, the 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 butt the size of Rhode Island was something that, you know, uh, very few players had to go along with the reach. Uh, you know, his shot, Jeff, was not great when he first came to the NHL. And Rick Kehoe, our assistant coach, mm-hmm. he would shoot two, three, four hundred puckets after every practice. I remember Badger Bob Johnson coming down the runway at the old uh, Civic Arena and opening the door and saying, Get him off. Get him off the ice. Tell him to go home. He had to kick him <laughs> off the ice. I mean, that's the kind of work yeah. ethic he had. Um, he had the perfect body for hockey. If you saw him at the beach, 
you'd be like, oh, that's a that's a weird mm-hmm. looking body. You know, that huge rump. Yeah. These huge thighs, yep. these big flat feet. He had, you know, not big in the chest, but really strong in the shoulders, <laughs> forearms, and hands. Like all the things that you need yeah. where if you really took a computer yep. and could, you know, build your own hockey player, it'd be more like, you know, Sid's the same way, right? In a, in a way. Uh, but yep. Yogg's had the perfect hockey body. Listen, in a lot of ways, he was perfect, too. Uh, I got about 60 seconds for this one. Is there a future with Yager and the Pittsburgh Penguins? I know he's trying to keep a franchise alive. Yeah. Clad, no. But is there a future with Yager and the Penguins now? I got about 60 seconds. No, I'm glad you, you, you asked that. Um, the, the seed's been planted. I'll tell you that much. Uh, we'll see where it goes. I think they would love to get him on as a consultant on a part-time basis and see hmm. where it grows. I think the opportunities now yeah. that the bridges have been mended, Jeff, now now's now's the time to mm-hmm. no, I'm not gonna say strike, but now's the time to keep that conversation healthy and see if he can help yeah. see if he can help this power play, number one, that's you know, thirtieth in the league. <laughs> but if anything else, uh, just yeah. keep him on board and, and keep the relationship healthy. Amen. Uh, it's always better when the stars were involved. And it was so great watching Yager interact with uh, everybody uh, around the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins orbit uh, on the weekend, including yourself. Uh, Phil, always appreciate our time together. Thanks so much for stopping by today. All right, Jeff. I appreciate you. Enjoyed coming on. This was good hockey talk. There he is, Phil Bork. And I encourage everybody, by the way, because it is a great read. Uh, pick up Phil's book. You know, if you're watching on 360, I'll, I'll hold it up here. It is called If These Walls Could Talk Stories from the Pittsburgh Penguins Ice Locker Room and Press Box. Phil Bork, and so, uh, along with, with Josh Yoey, of course, from The Athletic. It is a great read. Um, if you want to know what the Penguins were like at that time, like he's right. Those were a bunch of alphas and i think that his line was great too you know you would never know that we liked each other based on how we spoke to each other at that time but to his point we were holding each other accountable and they won stanley cups because of it always love uh talking to phil bark and his own story by the way which we got into in the podcast uh, last year um is it is a tough one to listen to and a tough one to read about but you know Phil Bork, he is open and he is honest and he has healed and moved on in his life and that's a great thing. Thanks to our guests, Phil Bork, Adam Oates, Peter Baugh, Elliot Friedman, uh, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick. Thanks for keeping things on the rails here on a consistent basis. Uh, that's it. That's the Merrick Show across the Sportshead Radio Network, simulcast on 360 and wherever you get your podcasts. Back tomorrow. Enjoy the games tonight.